Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to welcome you back to the program again this week and thank you for taking time out of your very busy schedule to join us every week at the same time. We are in the middle of, of, I think, a very exciting series that you don't want to miss titled The Seven I Am's of Jesus. This particular segment is I Am the True Vine. This is the seventh I Am of Jesus. We've already filmed two segments on this. What I've done in this whole Gospel of John is tell you that, first of all, John chapter 20 gives you the reason for writing the book of John, and that is he says that these things are written that believing you might have life in His name, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, and that believing you might have life through His name. And he's really giving uh, throughout all of these I Am's especially a powerful uh, confirmation that He in fact was Messiah first of all to the nation of Israel and then ultimately to the whole world. John's Gospel does not begin with the Israel motif, it begins with the book of Genesis. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, darkness was upon the face of the great deep, Genesis 1.1. And the Spirit of God moved, hovered, and God said, let there be light. John 1.1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And that light shined in darkness, and the darkness didn't comprehend it. So he's really comparing, first of all, the Genesis motif with John 1, that this is bigger than just the twelve tribes. This is inclusion of all of the human family that God had a plan that would include both Jew and Gentile. However, what he's doing in almost all of these seven I Am's is bringing a convincing argument that he is what they were looking for. Now those of you who followed probably through, there's probably 24, maybe 28 of these. I think totally there'll be about 28 of them. But in this series we've taught, we made the comparison how that, for instance, he says to them, uh, your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they're dead. But I'm the true bread that came down from heaven. In other words, you thought that was the bread under Moses, but that's not the bread. I'm the bread. I'm the door. You thought the way into the sheepfold was through the door of performance Christianity, through the door of of, uh, 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 of human effort and through the door of keeping rules and regulations of the law of Moses, but that's not the door. I'm the door. Uh, you thought the true shepherds were the shepherds of Israel that were the corrupted shepherds that I talked about, who were not shepherds at all but hirelings, but I am the true shepherd. David got a hold of that and the psalmist says, the Lord is my shepherd. He's the true shepherd. And in every one of these we made that contrast, how that he is, they thought that was it, but the law of Moses and that old covenant was not it. In this series I'm talking about you thought Israel was the vine, Israel's not the vine, Jesus is the vine, and we're simply the branches. Now we're going to go to John 15 in just a minute and kind of pick back up where we left off last week. 
Before I do that, I would just like to remind you that if you have missed any of these and you just heard me say the things I said, you thought, man, that sounds like a powerful study. I'd like to just, I wish I'd have solved the whole thing. Well, good news is it's archived on YouTube. You can watch it at your leisure uh, on demand. Uh, it is also available as a podcast for the audio form of it. It is available as an RSS feed for Android devices. Uh, the easiest way to do any of that is simply to go to my website, and that address is on the screen, lynnhiles.com. And there in the upper right-hand corner of the opening page are the icons you can tap that will take you directly to those pages that are free of charge to you, and you can watch them on demand. You can subscribe if you'd like to to that page, and it costs you nothing, but every time we upload a new program, which is weekly, you will receive a notification of it, and you can go watch it. Uh, we want to get back in the Word. I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about that, but it is available to you. John 15, we started talking about the last two weeks. I am the vine. My Father is the husbandman, and every branch in me that does not bring forth fruit is going to be cut off and hewn down and cast into the fire. And what I did was I showed you the contrast where that Isaiah 5 verses 1 through 6 that it says, Now will I sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. My beloved has a vineyard in a very fruitful hill, defensed it and gathered out the stones thereof, and planted it with the choice vine, and built a tower in the midst of it, and also made a wine press therein, and he looked at it should bring forth grapes, and it brought forth wild grapes. He goes, Don't, let me just skip down because I can't really uh, deal with each one of these scriptures and go back over and review because they're in the last, last two programs. It says, verse 6, And I will lay it waste, and it shall not be pruned nor dig, but there shall come up, uh, up uh, briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds, and it won't rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah his pleasant plant. And he looked for judgment, but behold, oppression for righteousness, but behold, a cry. And, and so uh, then we, we contrasted that very prophetic message from Isaiah with what Jesus says in Matthew 21. He said, hear another parable. There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard and hedged it round about and digged a wine press in it and built a tower and let it out to husbandmen and went into a far country. Now this is actually almost a direct quote of Isaiah chapter 9 where he's saying in Isaiah chapter 9, the men of Judah and the men of Israel were this vine that was not producing any kind of fruit. But he went on to say, hear this parable. Uh, he built a tower, the same verbiage he uses in Isaiah 9 about a vineyard and a tower and a wine press. And he says, but when the time of fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the husbandmen that they might receive the fruit of it. And the husbandmen took his servants and beat one and killed another and stoned another. And again he sent other servants uh, more than the first, and they did what unto them likewise. But last of all, he sent unto him his son, saying, They will receive and reverence my son. But when the husbandmen saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and let us seize on his inheritance. And he caught him, and cast him out of the vineyard, and slew him. And when the Lord of the vineyard cometh, what will he do unto those wicked husbandmen? 
They say unto him, He will miserably destroy those wicked men, and will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen, which shall render him the fruits in season. Jesus saith unto them, Did you never read the stone which the builders rejected has now become the head of the corner? That is the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our sight. Therefore I say unto you, The kingdom will be taken from you, and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruit thereof. And when you get down in verse 45, it said, And when the chief priests and Pharisees heard this parable, they perceived he was talking about them. Now let me just tell you again, what happens is, is that Jesus is telling them, You thought this was the vine, but that's not the vine. I'm the vine. This vineyard is about to be taken from you and given to a nation producing the fruit thereof. He's about to include the Gentiles in the covenants of promise. And then he uses the same terminology again in Isaiah 9 when he said, Nevertheless, dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation, when at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun, and the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan in Galilee of the nations. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light, and they that dwell in the land of the shadow of death upon them hath light shine. Now let me just contrast that as well with Matthew chapter 4, because once again it's almost verbatim a fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah. Matthew 4 verse 12 through 17 says, Now when Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison. He departed to Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the seacoast, in the borders of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people which sat in darkness saw a great light. To them which sat in prison, the shadow of death, light is sprung on. From that time Jesus began to repeat and say to them, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He was offering the kingdom to them, and He was saying to them, If you don't receive this kingdom, you're the branches that are about to be cast out, and this promise and this vineyard is about to be given to a nation that is producing the fruit of this. And so we shared that with you, uh, how that, that was really uh, Talking, let me just read again my notes. I read this probably in the last one, but I want to, and then we're going to come back into Romans 11 and show you some contrast. It said, The branches he is talking about in this text are natural Israel. They're about to be cut off and cast into the fire. See Romans 11. We're going to look at that. Look at the whole chapter. But especially the verse, uh, verse 12 said, There is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich, uh, rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever, whosoever, will call upon the name of the Lord, will be saved. And he noted in that text, he noted that the prophet Isaiah, in chapter 10 he says this, he noted that the prophet Isaiah said, Who has believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? And he said, Isaiah very boldly said, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest in the last, for them who looked not for me, In other words, he's talking about Israel rejecting their Messiah. The Jews and the Gentiles are the Gentiles receiving their Messiah. And he's talking about that uh, this, he comes right into chapter 11 on the heels of that by saying, I all day long I held out my hands to a rebellious people 
and that this vineyard is about to be torn down. It is about to be burnt with fire, and the covenant is about to be given to the Gentiles. That fire and that burning and that destruction all came to those wicked husbandmen in A.D. 70 at the end of the Old Covenant when the temple was destroyed, and that was the end of the Old Covenant paradigm. God was about to make a new covenant with the house of Israel that finds its roots very clearly in Jesus Christ. Now let me just, uh, if I don't... Uh, 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 if I don't get into this, I'll, I'll, I'll miss it a little bit. Let me just make some comparisons again to how Jesus truly is. He is the true vine. He is the one who is. Uh, let me just get. Let me just talk like this. It's it. This 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 whole thing he's talking about is he's uh, is if if you are preaching that Jesus takes a political people, an ethnic background, and makes them the covenant of promise, and you don't see that Jesus is the true vine, you are going to replace Jesus with a natural political element. I'm not saying that God excludes Jews. I'm just saying there's only one vine, and His name is Jesus, because there was a remnant according to election out of Romans 11 that came in the same way the Gentiles do, and that is through faith in Jesus Christ. If you take the natural political group and replace Jesus, who is the, the true Israel God, and you replace it with natural Israel, that in my opinion is replacement theology, and it's insulting the one to whom the real promise is made, and that is to Jesus, because He is the true seed of Abraham, who was the promise was made to. According to Galatians 3, the promise was not made to seeds as many, it is made to one seed and to your seed, which is Christ. If you do that, it takes the role belonging to Jesus and assigns it to a political nation whose population generally has nothing to do with Him. The New Testament is especially clear in showing that it's through salvation in Jesus that the nations are blessed. Consider the progression of biblical revelation regarding the promises according to Genesis 12.3. And in Genesis 12.3 it was first made by God to Abraham alone. God made the promise to Abraham that he says to him, it will be through you, Abraham, that all the families of the earth are blessed. Now we see this progression, it goes on to say in Genesis 22, uh, 18, it's repeated again, but at this time it's expanded to include his offspring. And it says this in Genesis 22, verse 18, and through your offspring all nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Now if you come into Acts chapter number 3, verse 25 through 26, the Apostle Peter speaking to a Jewish crowd in Jerusalem is clear in identifying Abraham's offspring and the means of blessing for the nations. And he says in, in Acts 3, 25 and 26, and you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed when God raised up His servant, whom He sent Him first to you to bless you by, teach, by turning each of you from your wicked ways. So He first sent the seed of Abraham, which was Jesus to you, that by turning each one of you from your wicked ways. It is Jesus who is Abraham's offspring. And He blesses the nations 
beginning with the proclamation of the gospel to the Jews in the first century, because he said, let it be to the Jews first, and then also to the Gentiles. Galatians 3, 7, and 8 declares that Jesus' followers are Abraham's offspring as well. Because you, it says, understand then that those who believe, those who believe are children of Abraham. The Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. So he advanced, knew that he was going to include the Gentiles and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham, said, all nation will be blessed through you. They're not blessed through the nation of Israel other than that Jesus came through the nation of Israel, but they are blessed through Jesus who is the seed of Abraham. Uh, Galatians 3 incidentally goes on to make the point even more strongly that all of God's promises are wrapped up first in Jesus and second in His followers. Paul says this in verse 16, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The Scripture does not say to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person, who is Christ. And then it goes on to say that if you be Christ's, then you're Abraham's seed. If you want to give your inheritance away, that's your prerogative. But I am the seed of Abraham, by virtue of faith in Jesus Christ, because you see, even Abraham was of Ur of the Chaldees, and God made a nation out of a people who would come into this thing by faith. Jesus is the singularly the recipient of all God's promises, and He extends those promises to His followers. For all for who are all one in Him, regardless of ethnic background, social status, or gender. He goes on to say, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus, and if you be Christ's, then are you Abraham's offspring and heirs according to the promise. So he's talking about both being brought into this true vine. I'm not trying to do away with anybody, folks. I'm just trying to tell you there's not an alternative way into the kingdom and through the covenants of promises than through Jesus. Because I don't care if you're a Jew, a Gentile, a Russian, or a Chinese. If you don't come through faith in His Son, there is no other way into the covenants of promise than through that one seed, uh, which is Christ. And, and let me just say, here, here's, here's some scriptures on Does Paul leave any room for those who are outside of Christ to be heirs of the promise? No, he doesn't. Not even for Jews who are outside of Christ. Neither did Peter. That's in Acts chapter 3, verse 23. And neither did Jesus. Matthew 8, verses 10 through 12. Matthew 21, verse 43. John 8, 31 through 40, 47. As Paul says in Corinthians 1, 20, all of God's promises are yes and amen in Jesus. What are they outside of Moses? They are absolutely meaningless words because the promise was not given to those who are outside of Christ. Hallelujah. You could also consider what Paul said to the Roman church in Romans 2 verses 28 through 29. 
He said, a person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Spirit. Romans 2.28, For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as his offspring. The church is, the, is, is, is Israel, that is the, the Israel of God. Galatians 6 verse 16. This is only true because Jesus is the true Israel. And we who belong to Christ are made one with Him. One more example of each of these points will suffice. We'll look at the uh, book of Matthew, uh, what, he, what was once said about the nation of Israel. Well, this to me is a powerful one. It really puts kind of a clincher on it. It's, but Matthew talks what was once said about the nation. What was once said concerning the nation of Israel is applied to Jesus. Then finally we'll take a look at how Peter takes what was once said to the nation of Israel and applies it to the church. In Exodus chapter 4, verse 22, God instructs Moses to say to Pharaoh, now this is Moses talking to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, this is Exodus 4, 22, Israel is my firstborn. Now hear that. Israel is my firstborn. And I say unto you, let my son go that he may serve me. Then in Hosea chapter number 11, verses number 1 through 2, he said, When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away, they kept sacrificing to Baals and burning offerings to idols. Who is the Israel in these Old Testament texts? It's clearly it's the ancient nation known as Israel, which was finally destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD. Yet, uh, yet look at how Matthew kind of treats this same, uh, this same, the same scripture quotes it again. This is the book of Matthew, and the background story is that of where the angel comes to Joseph and Mary, being warned in a dream, and Herod is trying to kill all the firstborn, and God comes down to them and says, "Take your son into Egypt and protect him there until those who seek his life." are gone or they're dead. And so that's the background of it. And it goes on to say that, that when Herod would seek to destroy Jesus, and he, Joseph, let's talk about Jesus' earthly uh, supposed father, and he, Joseph, rose and took the child Jesus and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord spoke by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. So what he's showing you is that, yes, the seed was to come through uh, Abraham. And then God used that ethnic nation of Israel and said, I'm going to call my firstborn son out of Egypt. And then in Hosea he uses it again, but he brings it all the way back around to the true Israel of God is still connected to the seed, which was Christ, because he says, so that the scripture might be fulfilled, out of Israel is my firstborn, and out of Egypt have I called my son. So if you are in Christ, 
you are part of the true Israel of God. And that's, I mean, that's not my opinion, folks. That's the Scriptures. Uh, you know, uh, and then, then let's compare this as well. That's only 40 verses in the New Testament that Matthew declares with strong implication that Jesus is truly the Israel of God. Now compare that with what Moses spoke to the people in Exodus 19. In Exodus 19, to what Peter said was the true church. It's impossible to miss the parallel language in it. To ancient Israel he said this in Exodus 19, verses 5 and 6. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be a treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That's Exodus 19, 5 and 6. Now Peter grabs a hold of this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, and he says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation for His own possession, that He may proclaim the excellence of Him who have called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Peter leaves no doubt that Christ's followers are chosen for the same purpose for which the nation of Israel was once chosen. So let's abandon the fact that God has chosen an ethnic group and begin to embrace placement theology, that Jesus was God's original intention and plan, and that out of that seed He brought forth a holy nation of which you and I are a part. That does not cast away Israel, but includes them as well in the covenants of promise. And while I did not get into Romans 11 in this chapter, we will come back again and reiterate it probably in the next segment. We're going to do one more segment on this particular thought. But I just want to recap. You thought that was the vine. That's not the vine. I'm the true vine. Jesus was showing them that, yeah, you might have one time been the vineyard, but God has, through the nation of Israel, brought forth the Son who is Israel, who now will include you in the covenants of promise if you'll simply come by faith. You're not Abraham's seed by ethnic birth. You're Abraham's seed by faith. And if you are Abraham's seed, you're a believer. There was a remnant according to the election that was brought into the covenants of promise. You, the Jew is you. He is not a Jew which is one outwardly. He's a Jew which is one inwardly whose circumcision is of the heart and not of the flesh. God bless you. You've been a blessing uh, listening in again this time. We've got just a few minutes. Let me encourage you, if you are enjoying the Word that we're preaching, that you get behind what we're doing. It really does take your help to be able to do what we're doing with our ministry. Uh, if you would like to become a partner with us, all you have to do, you can, you can call the number on the screen and just say, I make a commitment to give such amount, or thus and thus, or you can give a one-time gift. The easiest way to do any of it is simply go to my website, and where it has a PayPal thing, you can give via credit card, you can give debit card any way you want, but you can also set up a recurring debit monthly if you'd like to give monthly, or you can give a one-time gift that way. You could also send a check or a money order 
uh, to the address that will come up on the screen, and your help is greatly appreciated as we are reaching uh, literally millions of homes through the gospel five times a week on two different networks. So when you do that, you're helping us on a large scale. Thank you for doing that. Consider today. God bless you. Join us again next week as we conclude. The word repentance means to change your mind. The message of John the Baptist and of Jesus was to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is accessed by a change in our thinking. If you are in outer darkness, there is weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. That reality is not always out in the distant future. It is in people's lives right now. One simple mind shift can move you out of darkness and weeping and into light and rejoicing. God wants to wipe all tears from our eyes and replace our weeping with joy.